0: Um, we've done something a bit different. It's, uh, it's called a discovery Bible study or a discovery Bible method. And um, the whole idea of it is that it's a, it's a collaborative approach to studying the Bible. The uh, whiteboard doesn't necessarily agree with collaboration, but I think we got it there. So. This collaborative approach means, of course, that we're all involved. And in general, the way that this is done is either in pairs or in small groups. And you look at the the scripture together and you decide that there's one particular particular cultural rule that you're going to keep. And the rule is this, that you don't bring any information into the conversation about the passage that's not in the passage. So you don't start sharing, you know, Calvin's view of predestination. You don't start sharing Francis of Assisi's approach to the poor. You simply read the passage, stick with the passage and there's no information outside of the passage that you're going to bring to the conversation. You're just simply going to deal with that. Now, what this does is it, is it removes the power imbalance that usually exists in most Bible studies. The power imbalance is this. Information is power. Some people have got a lot of information. People like me, lots and lots of degrees, studied the Bible their whole life. Obviously... If we come to a text, I'll go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. The Greek in this is this, and the Hebrew's that, and, you know, there's a, this particular commentary that views it. That puts me in charge of the conversation because I'm more powerful than you. What we do with this model is we equalize the power balance. It's not completely equalized, but we try to do as best we can so that everyone, whether they be new to studying the text or have been doing it for years and years and years, come to it afresh with fresh eyes, and with an equality and an equanimity that allows the conversation to flow. Because here are the keys to discipleship, defined by Jesus himself. When he finished the Sermon on the Mount, his, if you like, clearest statement of what it was that his ministry was here to do, he finished with the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And he said, some people are foolish builders because they hear what I say and they don't put it into practice. And it's like their life is built on sand. And when when the storms of life come, their house is going to fall down. But there are some people who are wise people. And so now he's connecting The idea of wisdom which was deeply entrenched in the understanding of what it meant to be a faithful Jew. He said the wise person, his disciples, the wise person is the person who hears what I say and puts it into practice. hears what I say and puts it into practice. So today, We're gonna just do the same thing that we've done in previous week. There's a few little changes to kind of keep things interesting. But we're gonna be looking at the passage with fresh eyes. We're going to be coming to an understanding about what it is that God is saying to us. And then we're gonna make intentions on the basis of what it is that we hear. And those intentions hopefully we'll begin to fulfill today, tomorrow, and through the rest of the days of this week. Everybody good with that? Awesome. So, chapter 18 and verse 15 is where we've got up to in John's Gospel. Now, last week, some people were very kind. I'm very old and, you know, just kind of edging towards senility. So, last week I said this thing about the garden and the olive grove and blah, 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 because my version of the Bible didn't translate it correctly. But everybody else's version in the in the in the building did translate it correctly and none of you told me which was very sweet of you thank you it made me feel really good when somebody pointed it out the next couple of days especially as I spent five minutes talking about it so what I've done what I've done this week is I've gone to the version of the Bible that you use rather than the one that I use how about that hey awesome so I'm using the NIV most modern version which means that, you know, they've ironed out a few of the wrinkles, and I'm going to read from John 15. Now, what I intend to do is I'm going to read from John 15 all the way through to verse 27, which will cover the first, second, and third denials of Peter. These are all stories that we've seen before, and in the middle of it, there's a little interview, a a little examination by Annas, the high priest, or the the father-in-law of the high priest that year, as he was examining Jesus I'll try to just kind of remove that from all of our thinking for a little while, and we'll just focus on on the denials of Peter this week. So, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. "'You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you?' she asked Peter. He replied, "'I'm not.' It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said, nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, then why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now we're going to look at the courtyard scene with Peter warming his hands around the fire. I'm going to read it to you in a moment again. But we're gonna do something a little bit different this week. I'm going to, first of all, I'm gonna make a few comments about the conversation between Annas and Jesus, so that we can kind of set that on one side. And if the Lord is saying something to us about that, then we can come back to it later, maybe later in the day, later in the week, you can review it again and see what it is the Lord's saying to you. But today we're going to put ourselves in the place of the people in the courtyard. There is perhaps the oldest and most ancient form of Bible study, and it's called Lectio Divina. It tells you how old it is because the thing that describes it is in the Latin language. Lectio meaning reading, divina meaning Godward or godly or divine. We're going to do a form of study today in the discovery model that is... Lectio Divina where we're going to allow this to be the ancient model of godly reading and the way that the way that Christians and people who were searching for God would study the Bible using this method was that they would choose a character this is there's lots of ways doing Lectio Divina but this is one of the most common ways you would choose a character in the story maybe it's Peter maybe it's the other disciple who we assume is John or maybe it's the servant girl at the door or maybe it's one of the officials or other people warming their hands or maybe it's Jesus you choose one of the characters and you allow the moment to become an immersive experience can you smell the wood fire can you hear the murmur of people talking Can you hear in the distance the high priest examining Jesus? Can you see John listening carefully to what it is that's being said because he's going to be the eyewitness that records this for posterity for all people through every age? Are you one of the main characters or are you perhaps one of the supplementary characters looking in if you see Peter what do you see in him what do you see in his face what do you see in the way that he stands what do you see in his posture what do you hear in his words what's the emotion that comes out now this is the way that Christians down through the ages have engaged with God's word and of course it's entirely legitimate for us to do this. The reason that God by his spirit caused these words to be written down was so that he could communicate with us but like all forms of communication it's not simply a cerebral process. It's a process that engages our emotions. It's a process that engages our imagination. It's a a process that engages our story, our history, our aspirations, our hopes. And so we allow those things to kind of bubble up to the surface as we take on one of the characters. And by doing this, perhaps we hear afresh what it is that God wants to say to us. Now, let me just deal with this conversation between Annas and Jesus. Annas is asking Jesus about his teaching and about his disciples. There's a couple of disciples there, Peter and John. Jesus says something that's tremendously important for all of us. He said, look, all of my teaching is open, simple, in public for everyone to understand and hear. If you want to know what I teach, just ask somebody who was there when I was teaching. Now, I think this is really important because when we approach the scripture, the Lord wants us as disciples to hear what he's saying and put it into practice. But this is what happens when you don't put it into practice. You go back and you think you need to hear something more. And then you don't put that into practice and then you, then you go back and you think you need to hear something more and then you don't put that into practice and you think you need to hear something more. And what happens is this. This, this process begins to be, I mean, is it manipulated? Is it massaged? Is it, is it in some way controlled or honed? Certainly, we play into the hands of the enemy when we hear what God says and we don't put it into practice because we're building our life on sand but this is what you'll find when you dig into the websites that tell you they've got secret knowledge (laughs) or you listen to the podcasts that say you'll never believe what I've discovered deep in the ancient languages if you count up all the letters you get father christmas The reason that we get hoodwinked into these deceptive teachings that tell us if only we will look a bit longer, listen a bit harder, pay a bit more, we'll get the deep secrets. The reason that we're, that we're likely to get hoodwinked by such things is because we don't do the thing that Jesus asked us to do. The things that Jesus said are open, available. There are no secrets. The truths of Jesus are shallow enough for a child to paddle in. Deep enough for an elephant to take a very good bath. And the way that you discover the depths of his teaching is by putting them into practice. So, Jesus, almost with his last recorded words before he's taken to Calvary, is giving us really profound and helpful instruction and John made sure that he recorded it. Because in John's day, there were people who were peddling secrets that they thought others would be fascinated by. So now what I'd like to do, having said all of that and got that out of the way, I'd like to read to you again the denials of Peter, first, second, and third denials. And as you listen, maybe close your eyes. If you want to be undistracted, then allow your breathing to kind of become natural. Maybe put your feet flat on the ground. Crossing your legs generally doesn't give you the best and most comfortable position to be reflective because it kind of traps blood and all that kind of thing. So generally over the years, the great, the great spiritual giants have always said, put your feet flat on the floor, put your hands on your lap, close your eyes and allow your breathing to come to a natural place and hear the word of God afresh. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard but Peter had to wait outside at the door the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. As Simon Peter was standing warming himself, they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. We're going to have a moment just in quiet we'll put the passage back up again on the screen we've just got a couple of minutes let's just pause and see what it is that we're sensing in the passage which is the character that you think is chosen for you today who do you feel closest to in the story ask God to give you insight into that person's experience as we sit in the quiet see what do you hear what do you smell what do you feel what's going on as you immerse yourself in the story and as you take on that character What is it that God is saying to you? This is a new way for many of us, so it may be a bit hard for you to do this next bit, but I'd like you to share, first of all, the character that you're taking on and maybe something of what you think God might be saying to you as you take on that character with one other person next to you so just find a person next if you're by yourself in a pew then find somebody else and just have a chat we'll just do a couple of minutes of this right now just say who the character is and what you think God might be saying go ahead This is great. Make sure that both of you share. If one of you shared, then make sure the other one does. Fantastic. All right. So here's, here's the thing that we're going to do next, and we'll, we'll see this over the coming weeks as we add more people to, to the orchestration of this collaborative model. We're gonna, we're gonna start seeing other people being involved in the kind of public roles of this discovery method. Now, Rosalind is gonna come up later and she's gonna take a photograph of the whiteboard and she's gonna post that on social media and on the, on the website. And um, maybe in future weeks, we'll get somebody else to do the photograph. Maybe one of the young people can do that. We can get that handed off to me or to Rosalind, and we'll make sure that it gets onto social media. But we're going to look for another person with a microphone today. Now, microphones are power, so you, you need to not be really hungry for that this morning. We've got Jason on one microphone, and he's going to take this lump of people, if you don't mind me calling you a lump, this lump of people, and I need one volunteer to help me with this lump of people. Who's gonna help me with the microphone? That means you're gonna have to run up, backwards and forwards. And if the person's deciding to give you, you know, Calvin's theses, then you take the microphone from away <laughs> away from him. And I'll help you to do that because I'll direct you in doing that. Okay, so you're gonna help? Come on. Okay, let's have a look. You have got this posh. It's working, there you go. All right, so Jason, you need to get down there as well, ready to run. Okay, uh, we're, we're not going to go up there. I've noticed that there's more people gravitating towards the balcony at the moment because clearly they don't want to be engaged in all of this, but next week we're going to have a third microphone, and watch out. Yeah, I know who you are, I see you. So um, So let's do this, let's do this. What is it? that we're sensing God is saying to us I'd love to hear the person that you're kind of visualizing that you're, that you're connecting with and then give us an idea of what you think God might be showing you about that person anybody want to start us off over, over here we've got Tyler anybody over here have we got a hand up over here it's a bit like an auction isn't it don't move or I'll grab you Right there, that, that, see that young lady there? That's great. All right, so we have,
1: uh, tell us your name and what it is that God's showing. I am Tyler, and I believe that the servant girl is just searching for, to learn something
0: Okay, that's great. So, so we've got the servant girl. Let's get her up here. And... She's asking questions not because she's trying to expose Peter, but she's asking questions because she's kind of searching herself, wants to understand what's going on. Great observation. What about over here? Um, Do tell s- us your name and then tell us the character and then tell us the thing, okay?
1: My name is Corey, um, and the character I related to is Peter because um, it seems like he doesn't, want to fit in but he's not he's afraid to stand out as well
0: okay so Corey you're saying that Peter's there he doesn't want to fit in right? but he's going to be there anyway is that what you're saying? yes what an interesting insight I love that Corey thank you I'm going to put that up so we've got Peter now can I put Instead of putting, he doesn't want to fit in, can I put outsider in? Is that all right? Okay, I'm going to put outsider. But he's there. Anybody ever feel like that? Yeah, I do. You want to try being an Englishman in America when you first arrive. All right, we got one over here. Any more over here? Yeah, right there. Tell us who you are.
2: My name's Giselle and um, I just got back to work from maternity leave and I can relate to the servant girl. She's like, I'm trying to do my job. <laughs> and she's <was>, like <laughs> talking to this guy and he's got like an attitude. And so I was just reminded that we can do something, but we cannot control their response.
0: Yeah, yeah that's good. So that's great. Servant girl's getting a bit of airplay today, isn't she? So, so the servant girl, she's trying to do a job. She sees this guy with a bit of an attitude. And she's what? What's she trying to do there?
2: I mean, she's just trying to do her job. Like, who is allowed in here or not allowed? And like, who are you? And what's your role here? Who are you? And then she can't, like, control how you respond to the question, but she can reach out. Right.
0: Great. So we got the servant girl doing her job, uh, asking... Questions can't control the response. Is that about right? Is that about right? Yeah? Great. I love that. Wow. This is so fun, isn't it? I bet nobody expected that we're going to get this today, did you? What else we got? Any more over here? Right there. Come on. Tell us who you are. Hi. My name is Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy.
2: So just kind of think through a little bit what you said. To me, you know, I was kind of trying to relate to Peter. Yeah. Um, I feel like in his position, he he wasn't realizing that he was in a kind of a testing moment. I think he kind of felt like he was behind enemy lines, kind of covertly, yeah. trying to hide who he was. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if they're like, do you reject Jesus Christ, he would say no. But... You know he didn't realize that and i think we can take this as a takeaway in life there's things that can be compromising sure. and we need to be sensitive to what the lord is saying about those things because yeah. you don't know if
0: what you're saying or doing could be a test so great to speak. great jeremy so jeremy's saying Peter feels as though he's behind enemy lines. He's got to operate as a covert agent, and he doesn't realise that what he's doing is exposing himself to the enemy's plan. Yeah, I think that's a really cool way of looking at it. Everybody else good with that? I think you're good there, Jeremy. I think that's awesome. So, so we've got um, covert operative doesn't know the enemy's plan is that a good way of putting it? yeah great I love it so this is Peter this is the servant girl this is the servant girl. This is Peter. I think we're beginning to get a bit of a picture emerging, aren't we? Certainly, the servant girl and of Peter, John. Oh. I know who you are, but nobody else does. So tell us, tell us.
1: <laughs> I'm John. Great. Hey. So I was thinking about the relative of the guy who got his ear chopped off in the car. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, why was he there? Yeah. probably to see the guy who's in trouble who put his uncle's ear back on who was chopped off by this guy who says he doesn't know him. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and what what do you think is going on in that guy's mind when he's asking Peter that question?
1: Well, I think he's curious for one, and he may or may not be exactly sure if that was the guy who right. chopped my uncle's ear off, but I think he's I mean, I think a lot of people that were hanging around are just curious as to, you know, they've heard this guy talk in the temple. Great.
0: Okay, relative of, we'll call him Malchus, because that's what the passage called him last time. And um, he's curious. Again, he's not necessarily wanting to threaten Peter, he's not necessarily wanting to, you know, reveal to Peter that, yeah, you really are behind enemy lines he's just curious it's kind of interesting isn't it sometimes we meet people and we forget that they're ordinary flesh and blood like us and they're not an angel or a demon in disguise they're just ordinary people yeah maybe swept up into events that they don't know much about okay where else right there come on
1: my name is Kristen um, I find it interesting that after having read this story so many times, I didn't really notice John. Yeah. And, yeah, he lets him in. But the first two denials say, aren't, when they when they talk to Peter, they say, aren't you also one of his disciples? So the inference is that John is clearly known as a disciple. Right. But Peter gets all the attention. So I'm wondering, I don't have a complete thought or a complete, you know, God hasn't clearly said something um, very specific, but I'm wondering, what does John have that Peter doesn't have? Yeah. So, is it a quiet, confident faith? Um, how come he is known and not being challenged, even though he was there in the garden? Yeah. Um, and so, Peter, we already know, is really impulsive, Um so I guess my thought is, what does John have that Peter doesn't have? Is it just his faith? Has he already made himself, kind of asserted himself as a disciple of Jesus in that, with that crowd, because they know him from yeah. some way, yeah.
0: but anyways. So, so John, I, I found the same thing too, because reading the passage, it said two, T-O-O. Yeah, so uh, you're a disciple two, indicating, that they know that John is a disciple. So, we can put disciple and then maybe in brackets, known. and we're asking the question, what's different about John from Peter? Because they're in exactly the same set of circumstances. If anything, John is in a more exposed environment because he's right in on where the conversation is taking place between the high priest and Jesus yet so what's the difference what's the difference great question love it right here right there <laughs> tell us your name and tell, tell us what you've got
2: uh, my name is Jordy, and I like John. I also identified a lot with the, um, the Relative of the servant who got his ear chopped off right because uh, like us he has proof he has evidence He knows what happened in the garden and right. he's he knows there's a bigger truth That he's asking for that he's searching for because he knows the events that occurred um, And Jesus tells us all the time to question things to look for things because there is a bigger truth so I think he was asking the right questions to the wrong person ah. for what he was looking for.
0: Okay, so so the relative of Malchus has evidence of something important, important, yeah? I mean, you yeah, know. Malchus turns up and says, look, it's back on again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting evidence, isn't it? So he's got this kind of fascinating thing going on, but he's asking the wrong person to help him understand. Yeah? Maybe, maybe, like Kristen says over there, maybe he'd have been better asking John. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What? Okay, we'll just do a couple more. This, this lady here, tell us who you are.
1: Yes, so I'm Sydney. Um, Sydney's
0: really a- new to us. She came the very first week we did this. She joined in straight away, and here she is again. Welcome, Sydney.
1: I love this structure. So... Um, I was also thinking about the other disciple and the fact that he takes the time and effort to get Peter inside. Yeah. But we're not told his motivation. So I'm curious, just in my own mind, was this done for Peter's sake because he knew he would want to be as close to Jesus as possible, or was it done for his own sake because he wanted a supporter in the room?
0: Okay. Interesting. See, we're getting into this, aren't we? We're kind of getting. A These are real people with real emotions and real imaginations and real stuff. So why is John getting Peter in? I mean, is it because Peter needs to get in or is it because he needs support? Yeah? Great question. Why does he help Peter? Question mark. I'll put support, question mark, yeah? Yeah. Is that all right, Sydney? I think it kind of covers it, doesn't it? Okay, one or two more. I know who this is because she's a regular. <laughs> she's a regular. Time. Come on. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca. Um, Rebecca. And I
2: truly believe there's only so many personality types out there, and I am Peter. <laughs> So it was very easy to put myself into this position, the, the impulsivity, the superlative loyalty and steadfastness that looks crazy to everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to respectfully say that I disagree with anybody who says that he was just hiding out. I don't think he was hiding out at all. I think he was completely just stopped talking to me. I'm trying to pay attention to what is going on over here. And if Jesus needs me, I'm going to be there. Yeah. He's better. He there just to, chopped off somebody's ear. Like he don't give a crap. Sure. Like he's it's, just going to do what he it's, needs it's to do. Yeah, yeah. This this idea
0: then, that G, that Peter's there, this kind of this shrinking violet, going, ooh, no. don't ask me any questions." I mean, this is a guy with a sword on still. As far as I know, he's still carrying the sword.
2: And and with with what Sydney said, I agree with her hundred percent. And I do think he was for it was. I think that John is a very calm introvert, like very very controlled of himself and he was doing that for Peter he's like I know Peter needs to be there Peter needs to know what's happening he will lose his mind not knowing what is happening to Jesus right now
0: trying to intervene yeah is that a fair way of putting it is that okay all right anyone else desperate to tell us yeah one here right there come on I'm Jerry (laughs) hey Jerry and I want to follow up on the fo- uh, previous comment um, I believe Peter had just gone to battle he wanted to totally so when he gets to the guard or when he
1: gets to the questioning of Jesus I think he wanted to go in I think he wanted to be there because he still believed Jesus was going to initiate a battle it was still going to be this political social yep. upheaval right. that would put the Jews on top yeah and he wanted to be there for the beginning of that and when he denied Jesus three times and he heard the cock crow. It dawned on him, I think, finally, and I had no way to prove this, but it dawned on him that Jesus was going to be crucified.
0: Right. That it finally crashed down on him and he just, he went away and wept. Great. So finally, so the, so the cock crows, finally, gets it yeah I think you're right and I think it's interesting this was what Jesus said way back in John 13 he said this is what's going to happen Peter you think that you're kind of going to stand with me but when the cock crows you'll have denied me three times and he's thinking that's impossible I can't even imagine the circumstances where that would happen and then he thinks wait in all of that Jesus said he was going to die yeah so that you're right I think that that's that that would totally be right wouldn't it because he would connect up those thoughts connect up those memories and go whoa because maybe he's thinking well it's a metaphor cock crows who knows Jesus is always talking in pictures and whatever and then it's a real crow and it's yeah really mourning and he's thinking whoa Jesus is really going to die you're absolutely I love it well I think we should give a round of applause to the carrier of the mics. What do you think? Yeah? Great job, guys. Great job. Okay. So, here's the question. What did Peter say about himself in these circumstances? Hmm. Well... To know that, we'd have to have some some indication from Peter of the way in which this experience impacted him. But I don't think Peter wrote any of the Gospels, did he? No, there's no name Peter on them. The suggestion is that Peter was behind what Mark wrote down in his gospel. But fortunately, we do have the two letters that Peter wrote. And towards the end of the first letter, he, he talks about some circumstances that other people may encounter But of course as a writer he's only writing because he knows that these circumstances are possible because he's experienced them himself. Yeah? Here's a little phrase of Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hmm wonder whether he was anxious in that situation what would Peter an anxious Peter do well look at these words that he says right before those all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Maybe maybe Peter was writing these words. He's coming towards the end of his life. He's considering the experiences that he's had with Jesus. Maybe he's thinking about the difference between John and himself in that circumstance when he says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, Jeremy, to devour Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and steadfast, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Those of you who want to know where it is, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 5 and following. I'm going to read it to you again. I want you to think of Peter as he goes back and remembers the scene in the courtyard. The servant girl, the relative of Malchus, John, who's obviously completely different to him in this set of circumstances, and Jesus, who's about to give himself up for Peter and for the rest of the world. Young men, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever good word eh well done Peter he remembered well didn't he he reflected well didn't he? He learned well, didn't he? And what it was that God said to him in the courtyard, he heard and then put into practice. And it helped other people. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes right now. The band are going to come up. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes just being quiet. What is it that God said to you today? What are you going to do about it? Now, this is how we're going to do the response time. I'm going to get you to share one intention. You might have three intentions from today. I want you to share one intention with the person you spoke to at the beginning. Just one intention. This is something I'm going to do on the basis of what I've heard today. And then we're gonna have the normal time of response that we have at the end of the service. If you have needs for prayer where you need healing, restoration, God's gotta step into your life, your relationships, your finances, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for any circumstance that you bring. But it may be today that as you've heard the Lord and you've made this intention, you want to underline. It's almost like you want to write in ink what would be there in pencil and maybe invisible by Tuesday. And if that's you, then you come and if you go to one of the small mats, that's just indicating to the prayer team that they just leave you alone and it's just you and God. If you want someone to pray with you about whatever circumstance, the intention you've made or the need that you have, then come on one of the large mats. The prayer team will come and pray with you, recruit other members of the congregation to help. It's a good deal. Yeah? Okay, let's just have a moment. What's the intention for the week? And let's just uh, let's just allow the Lord to stir in our hearts.